Welcome to episode 60 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And I'm so excited because this week we're going to venture out of the United States and go into Australia. I have got the true crime and Bethy has the paranormal. We also have a very special guest with us tonight, special to both of us, Katie, my daughter and my sister. (laughs) Hi, everybody. And Katie is visiting from Chicago. Mm -hmm. She is the doctor that we always talk about on our podcast. So Katie, welcome. So excited to have you. So excited to see you. Okay, so obviously, I had a few options when it comes to Australia. I could have gone with Foster's beer. I could have gone with Yellowtail wine. But the guy at the liquor store recommended this wine. And it's a Shiraz, which is my favorite. It's a red. And it's called Barossa Valley Estate. I guess that's where it's from. It's from the Barossa Valley. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is extra fun for you, Katie, because you lived in Australia for a year. (laughs) So six months. Six months. Six months. (laughs) What I I am happy you you didn't go with Fosters because what I will say is, is living there as a college student, you could not afford beer. For some reason, beer was more expensive than wine. Really? Yeah. Although I was not drinking anything good like this. I mean, it was mostly box wine. (laughs) And Katie, you were in Perth, correct? Yes, I was over in Perth. I'm actually drinking a red wine tonight as well. I found an alcohol removed wine from a company, FRE, free. It's a red blend. So Mm, free from alcohol. Yes, free from alcohol. Cheers, ladies. Cheers. Mm. It's good. It's tart, but it's dry. It's um, it's very fruit forward. Mm-hmm. Mm. Tasty, definitely very tasty. I'm getting like a, like it's a little citrusy to me. I I still do think it's pretty tart, but it's almost like a tart cherry kind of flavor. I was gonna say it tastes cherry. Mm-hmm. I taste a lot of, but I taste black cherry. I taste more. Yeah, but there's hardly any tannins or oak. I'm not like it's really. Mm-mm. But mm. I taste a um a lot of darker fruits, yeah. berries and dark cherries and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. As if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I re- the hardest part was uh, walking walking down to the, the pod studio without drinking the wine. <laughs> I will say it smelled very yummy. <laughs> Even pouring it, I was like, oh, man. So overall, would you suggest this? Yeah. <laughs> Are you asking me? You sound like, sound like Aiden. Aiden's like, sure. <laughs> I think Aiden sounded more excited. <laughs> I would I would recommend this wine. I've been working on my public radio voice. Yes, it's very nice. Mm. Mm. Overall, this wine, a lot of dark fruits, very fruit forward. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Killer Hangover. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Barossa Valley Estates wines, there was a few options from them. They had a red blend and a few other different reds, but... I picked the Shiraz. Am I saying that Is it per, Isn't it Shiraz? Oh, man. <laughs> hurrah, hurrah. It's a Shiraz. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I would definitely recommend the wine to anybody who likes dry red mm-hmm. wine. Actually, another really interesting thing that I saw at the liquor store when it came to Australian wines was they all had twist tops. Yeah. Yeah, that was totally a thing even when I was there. They, we went to a vineyard as like a little class trip. <laughs> um, I want to go to that school. <laughs> <laughs> and the the guy giving the tour said that they have moved almost entirely to twist off caps instead of corks. I wonder why. I think it's there's there's a thing where you can have like a bad batch of corks and it can like ruin the bottle of wine. Oh. And it's also cheaper for the vineyard to mix, which oh, makes sure. it cheaper for sure. you. Yeah. No, because I could like literally, I started browsing by looking for twist tops because then I could see. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's Australia. Uh, yeah. Those Aussies, man. Yeah. And also conservation. I'm sure, right? I mean. Because cork actually comes from a tree. <laughs> so. I think a lot of it is um, uh, also is expense and mm-hmm. conservation. 
I just like it because it's easier for me to get into the bottle. So much easier <laughs> to get into the bottle. Dang, you don't have to carry that wine opener with you mm-hmm. anymore. Well, if mom taught us one thing, it was to always keep a wine opener on <laughs> me. Always be prepared, girls. <laughs> I had one in my car, like, oh, I threw one on a keychain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, fun fact, when we were there drinking all that boxed wine, they don't actually call it boxed wine. They call it goon. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Why do they call it goon? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just drink it. Yeah. (laughs) Goon. We had a a lot of goon when I was visiting you at Notre Dame. (laughs) When you told me we were not going out. Uh, Well, and then we ended up going out after drinking our own each bottle of goon if well, i you probably had two you wouldn't drink my own bottle of goon <laughs> you made me go to the store to buy your own bottle <laughs> and then we proceeded to go out and drink dale green st patrick's day beer yep i came like in <laughs> may April, end no, of april no i i mean 32 ounces though for a dollar like who cares if it's green? Yeah, I came probably almost a month after St. Patrick's Day. And and they still had green beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was real cheap. And we drank a lot of it. Yep. Don't mix your liquors. Nope. <laughs> I had a nicely stained red wine bed. From okay, Beth. moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, thank you for asking, guys. But this free alcohol-removed wine tastes like grape juice. <laughs> As I opened the bottle, it actually smelt like wine and I got very excited, but it tastes like those Welch's grape juices that you get for like, you know, Thanksgiving, the sparkling Welch's grape juice. I mean, we'll just pretend. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, well, thanks guys. Thanks for- Get to it. Thank you so much for tasting the wine with us. Do you want to keep interrupting you? <laughs> I get to do this. Cheers. Oh, cheers, mom. Love you, kid. All right, mama, go ahead. All right. Have you ever heard of Rachel Barber? I'm not sure. All right. Well, you will in a few minutes. Okay. (laughs) First, I want to begin by starting with obsession. So the word obsessed means to be consumed with something or someone, to have your mind constantly preoccupied with this thought or this person. In Latin, where the word comes from, obsess actually means to be possessed or haunted. Wow, that actually makes sense, Doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. Other words to describe obsessed are consumed, plagued, tormented, bedeviled. Obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, is considered (laughs) a mental illness. I found it interesting that the two do not necessarily have to be combined. One can just be obsessive. Now, I think we've mentioned before that we both have a touch of OCD. Yes. You are a perfectionist. Yes. And I'm one that if I start something, I have to complete it. Thus, the show binging that I do. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And you don't even want to get me started on a jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) But this type of OCD as well, it's kind of who we are. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not hurting anybody. It's just kind of who we are. I'm going to take obsession to a whole different level in the true crime that I'm going to share with you. Okay. Rachel Barber was a beautiful little girl and a lovely young lady. Watching home videos of her as a little girl and then as she got older, she just reminded me, truly reminded me of a butterfly. And I really mean that. She was a petite little thing with a beautiful face, a radiant smile, and big green eyes. She loved to dance. Ballet dancing mostly. And ever since she was very young, she did so nonstop. And that's, I think, why she (laughs) reminded me of a butterfly. Because she was flitting, constantly flitting here, there. But she was dancing the whole time. She danced in the house. She danced in the yard. She danced at the store. She danced (laughs) wherever she was. She just danced. I love it. And she was really good at it. Dancing was her life. School, not so much. So after deliberating, her parents, Elizabeth and Michael Barber, agreed to let Rachel fulfill her dream and just dance. Awesome. So in 1998, Rachel was accepted in the highly acclaimed Dance Factory Studio in Richmond, Melbourne, Australia. A dream come 
true. Although she loved ballet dancing, she also had ambitions of starring on stage in musicals such as Cats and Chicago. She also had aspirations of doing some modeling, which I believe, given a chance, she could have achieved all of those ambitions. Mm. Looking into Rachel's life, I did not feel like she was a diva. I'm sorry, but I've been in theater for a long time, (laughs) and I know divas. I've been in theater not as long as you, but yes, You know a diva when you meet a diva. (laughs) Rachel just wasn't like that. She was really popular and in a steady relationship with the boy that she had met at the dance school, Emmanuel Carella, who we'll call Manny. Okay. But she was also described as shy and not extremely outgoing. Okay. On March 1st, 1999, Rachel, who was 15 years old, simply vanished. The day started off like any other. Rachel rode the tram or the train at 15 Australia. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, this is what I guess I pictured her being much older. Nope. She's just 15. So yeah, she was accepted into the dance school the year before. Oh, wow. So Rachel rode the tram to dance school. But during lunch, she said something weird to her boyfriend, Manny, as they were walking around the downtown. As they passed his shoe store, Rachel suddenly stopped and admired a pair of shoes. I'm going to buy those shoes, she told Manny. They were really expensive, so he asked her, how could you possibly afford them? Oh, I have a job tonight, she said. I'm going to get paid, and those shoes will be mine tomorrow. Rachel refused to tell Manny what the job was, saying that she had to keep quiet about it until it was completed, so she would tell him about it the next day. Mm. She mentioned the same thing to girlfriends at the school also saying that she had accepted a job and she was going to get paid quite a bit of money, but she had to keep it to herself as to what the job was until she had completed it. After school, Rachel and Manny walked to the tram station where they parted ways. Then Rachel deviates from her normal routine and hops on a tram that she has never ridden before. Her father, Michael, is at his usual spot at the tram station waiting to pick her up, but Rachel never shows up. Shoot. Maybe she missed the tram and started walking home. Elizabeth and Michael search endlessly for their daughter, driving up and down the streets, calling her friends, each of which tell them that Rachel had told them that she had a job that night and she was going to make money. Her parents are really confused about this Hmm. because they didn't know of any job. So her parents call the police. Who, of course, respond with, it's too early to be concerned. She's 15. She may have run away. She's 15. She's just 15. Or maybe she's pregnant and doesn't want to tell you. Uh, Yeah. That sort of came out of the blue. Like, what? She had a really good relationship with her parents. And even if she was pregnant, the relationship was such that she could easily have come to them and say, look, I screwed up. I'm pregnant. You know, and, and they would have helped her. So none of what the police were saying made any sense or had any correlation to this particular relationship with her parents. And it stinks because the police have to respond to all of these, you know, my kid's missing, my kid's missing. And they don't necessarily know these kids. Some kids are good kids like Rachel and some kids really really did run off and, you know, went on an adventure somewhere. So it's just it's It's, kind of tough. But plus you're limited on resources and. Well, that night, Rachel's father filed a missing persons report, and then the police suggested something even more odd. Did you check under the house? They asked. Maybe Rachel is hiding under the house. Okay, Australia, do you guys hide under your houses? Huh? (laughs) Even her parents are like, huh? (laughs) Well, they check under the house. Is that something that they do in Australia? Down under? (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. It was just a weird thing that the police said. Hmm. So Rachel's parents, neighbors, and friends start to seriously search for Rachel. They even stop at the shoe store, remember? Right. The shoe store that... And they're looking for any clues that she might have given that day. Right. Well, she had actually gone back to that store the day she went missing. She went back to the store and put the shoes on hold. There was no way she would have run away without those shoes. I mean, she was dead set on getting those shoes. So we know that Rachel well, did not think she run ran away. away. There were, of course, many, quote, sightings of Rachel. None of them panned out. 
Then an older sister of one of Rachel's friends, Allison, who's been out of town, sees a poster of the missing Rachel. She tells police that she saw Rachel and another mm, plain looking girl on tram number six, the one that Allison usually rode, but she had never seen Rachel on it before. She had watched the girls for a while and didn't notice anything sinister. In fact, they seemed to be having fun. They talked nonstop and were giggling and laughing and, you know, it was a fun time. The two girls got off at the Paran stop. Allison takes the information to the police, who with her help make a sketch of the girl Rachel was seen with. Rachel's family views the sketch, but no one really comes to mind. Rachel's mom, Elizabeth, said, There's something familiar about the girl in the sketch, but nothing or no one really matches it in my mind right Hmm. now. And her friends didn't recognize her either. No, no one recognized this girl in the sketch. Then a detective, who was not working on the case, suggests that the family make a list of all the people who have ever had anything to do with Rachel. Now this sounds like a daunting test to me, but they do it. Now they know that Rachel was last seen with a woman. So the men on the list are basically crossed off. Okay. Okay. Then they go through the list over and over and over again. So it's about the third or fourth time through the list. They stop at the name Caroline Robertson. Now I know some people say Caroline. So I'm going to just go with Caroline. I hope that I'm saying that right. The police sketch even looks a little like her. But the family hasn't seen Caroline in many years. The families used to be neighbors, but the Barbers had moved about five years earlier. That's just crazy that they're even on the list. (laughs) Uh, Can you imagine? I'm still. I mean, at 15 years old. Okay, write a list of all the people, all the people that your child has come in contact with. I. I'm just thinking the people I've been in contact with where it's like we've moved from Charlotte to back to Kansas City. Then we moved to another house in Kansas City. And it's like, I can't tell you even some of my neighbors names in the Carolinas. But stop there. Don't even <laughs> don't even do that. But just it's think, my child who's talking. To but these just people. think the last five years even. I can't the people do that. that you have <laughs> seen. And, and if you lived here in the last five years, you haven't moved. So it's like so. Nope. I think what a daunting task that is. That's no. that's incredible. Okay. So the families used to be neighbors, but the barbers moved about five years earlier. But come to think of it, Caroline had called a few days after Rachel had been missing, just to ask how the family was holding up and if there was anything she could do. As I mentioned before, the Robertson and Barbers had been neighbors in the early 90s. Both families had three girls. Caroline and Rachel were the oldest, but Caroline was five years older than Rachel. Caroline had, in fact, babysat for the barber several times because she had been older. So I'm assuming she called just because she saw a poster since there was posters yeah. out? Yeah. Okay. Then Elizabeth remembered that a few years back, Caroline had called and asked if she could take pictures of the three barber girls. And then a while later, she had again called and asked for the birthdays of the three girls. Mm. She said she needed them for a school project. Now, I, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I don't think there's any project at school that I can think of that you needed somebody's birthday, a neighbor's birthday. A neighbor's birthday where you've moved away and you haven't talked to them uh, in a while. It just doesn't, you know, but Elizabeth... But she was their old babysitter. Maybe she Agreed. was doing a project and I don't on even kids know, she babysat. I don't know. I don't know how many years ago this was, you know. So, she, of course, Elizabeth trusts Caroline. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, on the same day as she called Elizabeth to get the birthdays, she called the Hall of Records and got a copy of Rachel's birth certificate. Okay, now that isn't needed. I'm not sure if any of this is starting to add up to you yet, but it will. Police finally get Rachel's phone records. Okay, so the parents have the records, obviously, because they're paying for the phone, but they can only see outgoing phone calls. Interesting. Okay. They can't see incoming and how long they lasted and such. All right. So, but police can. They can get both outgoing and incoming. And they discovered that the night before she went missing, Caroline had called Rachel once at 5.15 and then again at 5.30. And they think that maybe the call had been dropped mm-hmm. and Caroline had called back. The girl spoke for 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Could Caroline be the girl in the sketch? Hmm. On Friday, March 12th, 
Okay, so this happened on the 1st, March 1st, and now we're at March 12th. Okay, so now this is worrisome because even though Allison, I believe her name was, saw her on the train with this other girl Mm -hmm. and they were happy and hanging out, you know, that doesn't lead me to be very concerned that maybe she is just out having a good time with some friends. But if she's as close with her family after 12 days. And now it's 12 days. That seems a little suspicious. Like something's going on. Yes. So on Friday, March 12th, police went to Caroline's apartment, but there's no answer. So they went to her workplace and they were told that Caroline had come into work on March 2nd. So the day after Rachel went missing, but she looked and said that she felt ill. So she went home early and had called in sick every day since. Hmm. Police went back to the apartment and broke down the door, fearful that Rachel might be being held captive inside Mm -hmm. the little apartment. Instead of finding Rachel, the police found Caroline unconscious on the living room floor. She had had an epileptic seizure. Oh, no. Caroline was taken to the hospital, and the first thing she told the police when she woke up was, I buried her. (gasps) Now, into the horrible self-loathing life of Caroline Robertson. When police went back to the apartment, they found journals and letters Caroline had written starting when she was a teenager. She described herself as a pocked pizza face with brown oily hair. Quote, I feel like a troubled and tortured lost soul who has been thrown into a world of angels. Unquote. Oh, that is so sad. She called herself an alien with horrible things bottled up inside. Then the police found a journal titled, quote, How to Change in Nine Weeks. Oh, my gosh. This was an outline of her calculated plan. She was obsessed with Rachel and had been for a long time, even when they were neighbors. She was totally obsessed. To her, Rachel had everything that Caroline did not have. Rachel had a happy home life. Caroline's parents had divorced. Rachel was beautiful and popular. She was coordinated and a talented dancer. She had a boyfriend and lots of friends. In fact, she had everything a girl could ever want. And Caroline? Well, Caroline had and was nothing. So to even the field, Caroline was not only going to kill and disfigure Rachel, she was going to become Rachel. She had applied for a bank loan that would help her get out of state. She had chosen a new name, Jim Southhall. And here's the kicker. Southhall was Rachel's mother's maiden name. Oh my gosh. And I'm assuming here that she was going to use Rachel's birth date as her own since she requested the birth certificate. I also read someplace that she was going to have plastic surgery on her face. I just feel so sad for her. I mean, she's obviously has some kind of an illness. I hate when anybody's down on themselves like that. I mean, that, I mean, this is beyond this is down beyond. on themselves. This like, is this beyond is, it. Yes. This is, oh, it's so sad. The journal also outlined how and what Caroline was going to do to kill Rachel and then dispose of her body. It was written just like a shopping list. One. Caroline would entice Rachel to come to her apartment by asking her to be in a research project she was working on at school. Rachel would be paid, but she couldn't tell anyone about the project, not even her parents, because it would mess with the data and the results. Oh my gosh. For dinner, Caroline would offer Rachel pizza, but before serving it, she would lace it with a, quote, drowsy powder. Mm. Three, after Rachel drifted off to sleep, Caroline would wrap the telephone cord around her neck and strangle her to death. Then she put Rachel's body into her bedroom closet for two days. I'm not sure if this was part of the plan or it happened because Caroline got sick. After wrapping Rachel's body in two rugs, Caroline called either, and and this was, you know, resources. Yes. Different. So Caroline either called a taxi or a moving, or what they called a transport company. Okay. And she used her father's old duffel bag and told the driver that the object she was moving was a valuable statue. 
She gave the driver the directions to her father's farm. Oh, this poor driver. Oh, my gosh. Now, this was not a large farm. In fact, they call it a, quote, hobby farm, which I had never heard of. So I looked it up. A hobby farm is a small farm that has no expectation of being a primary source of income. So some have the land as a recreational area. Others may keep horses or ponies on the land for themselves or their children. Or just grow their own vegetables for their own family. Exactly. Exactly. They're not making money out of it. So I'm not sure what was on Caroline Father's hobby farm, except for one thing. The family did have a pet cemetery on the land. Okay. And that is exactly where Caroline carried the duffel bag. Rachel's body was found buried in a shallow grave alongside Caroline's pet cat. There's a cat in every stinking story. As I said before, all of this was written in notes. The police followed the notes, and that's how they discovered 15-year-old Rachel's body. Caroline was arrested and sentenced to... Wait for it. Oh, gosh. Pins and needles, Mom. I'm on pins and needles. 20 years with a chance of parole after 14 and a half years. planning and carrying carrying out. out. Caroline was released from prison on January 21st, 2015. She had restrictions on her, of course, like only going from work to home, checking in with her parole officer. Does she have a therapist or anything like that? I mean, do they? I'm not sure. I don't know how. I'm not sure if she did or not. But she was out of jail. And may I add, out and a changed woman. Hmm. Even Rachel's parents said they did not recognize her. She had lost weight. Her skin was clear and she had straightened her hair. And I will post a side by side. I mean, you can't tell it. She doesn't look like the same person at Hmm. all. In the summer of 2020, all restrictions were released. And now Caroline lives the life of a free woman. I guess she met a woman in prison and they fell in love and the two now live together. Yay! Love will change you. Good for them. Meanwhile, a family suffers because of the loss of their daughter and the (sighs) life of the beautiful, vibrant butterfly that was Rachel is gone. Just like that. Now, I'm going to add something here and I'm going to direct it at parents in particular, but also at other family members, teachers, coaches, etc. And please don't take this wrong. It was Caroline who killed Rachel. Okay. It was her choice. Uh, Her parents had nothing to do with her. Teachers had nothing to do with it. It was her choice. But... Caroline showed signs of depression from a young age. Absolutely. When she entered her teenage years, this depression and self-loathing became worse. Well, I'm sorry. You don't just grow up looking in a mirror and thinking you're ugly. You've been told that or you've not been told you're absolutely beautiful. Like, well, I, I just, sorry, go on. Teenagers are strange creatures. Yes. I mean, I've lived through four of them. <laughs> And I was one of them, not of the four, but I was a teenager. (laughs) Very few teenagers do not compare themselves to others in school they attend. Okay, it's something teens do. Yep. Girls are particularly bad at this, but I have a son and he did this too. The other girls or boys are so much more popular, so much more happy, have prettier hair, skin, clothes, etc. If only I could be like, quote, so-and-so, I'd be so much happier. But instead, I'm a loser. I'm worthless. I can't do anything right. But what these beautiful, and I don't want to choke up here, but I did when I was writing this, what these beautiful one-of-a-kind kids don't get is that even the popular girl with the clear skin and cool clothes, even she has problems. Who knows what her family life is like? Who knows what she did last weekend that's eating her up inside? And that jock on the football team that everyone adores, the one that drives the expensive sports car, you don't know what's going on with him, but I promise you, he's not perfect. Who knows, maybe he doesn't even like football, but is being forced to play because, well, He's not really that smart, and it's his only way into college. Of course, I'm just making these things up as scenarios, but what I want to say is that no one is perfect, and it's our job as parents and teachers and coaches to notice how our children are feeling. It's not always easy. Some kids can hide it well, but in the case of Caroline, her mother knew she was depressed and she, that she hated herself. Her mother, in fact, cried on Rachel's mother's shoulder one time, saying she didn't know what to do. Hmm. 
And no, we do not have manuals when these beautiful babies are placed in our arms, but they are entrusted to us. Buying them things and giving them money may make them happy at the moment. What they need is someone to listen to, someone to give them support, someone to give them unconditional love. And if they still need help, there are wonderful professional agencies available that are geared to help teens in particular. According to research, youth suicide has steadily been climbing since 2007. According to the CDC, suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 through 24 after accidents. I have to stop you here because I've witnessed that firsthand one night at like midnight when I was cleaning my basement. I broke my foot and we had to go to the emergency room. And while we were in the emergency room, we just sat and waited and waited and waited in our little closed off curtained area Mm -hmm. and the doctor finally came after four hours and he's like yeah you're fine you know here's some medicine you know put this on you whatever sorry it took us so long we've been really really busy and then he skedaddled and kind of handed it off to the nurse she came in and she's a blubbering mess and she told us that three teenagers that night since i had been there had committed suicide three teenagers in one night and they didn't know each other they had no ties to one another Three teenagers in one night. The the numbers are staggering. And those numbers were before the stress of COVID, oh. which is another whole deal. <laughs> oh, sorry. I had to get on that soapbox because I'm very passionate about it. And I really tried my hardest as a mom to be very positive with you guys. And oh, you're very positive, And I think the best parenting trait I took away from you is you've never, ever, ever been judgmental, which made it very easy for me to come to you. And right. it's never been disappointment. It's never we've had a discussion afterwards about it, but it's never been a discussion of disappointment or I'm a bad kid, but and never judgmental. And I think just that constant positivity and just me knowing that my mom was there was just knowing you were there. I hope so. uh, Okay, I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) So I have no idea. None of us do. If Rachel's life could or would have been saved if Caroline had gotten the much needed mental health help that she needed. Yeah, there's no way of knowing that. But if you know a child that is suffering from depression, and yes, a teenager is a child, telling them to just suck it up is not the answer. Depression is real. Have the conversation. From someone who's been there, it's not easy. Hmm. But who knows? You may save a life by dealing with it. And before I really start crying, I'm going to (laughs) stop. Please. No more crying. Bring us up, girl. I will see what we... I will see what's wrong with me today. <laughs> I will see what I can do. Okay, so <clears throat> it's already really different that we're covering a different country. Yes, which is kind of exciting. But I still wanted to find something very different from what we've covered in past episodes. Okay. And I believe I found just that. Yay. I mean, this is totally different. I was telling the story to Alex the other day saying like, should I cover this? Because it's totally different. And he just sat there looking at me wide eyed like, holy cow, you have to cover this. I was like, okay, I will. I'm really anxious to tell you about this. It's going to blow your minds. (laughs) In September 2006, George and Lena Tannis of Guildford, Australia, absolutely heartbroken when their 17 year old son, Mike, died in a car accident. The tragic accident happened very near to their suburban home in Western Sydney. I did some looking into who Mike was as a person and I'll get and remind me to tell you something that actually just happened this morning when it comes to this story. But I couldn't find a lot on him, unfortunately. But regardless, it was a truly terribly devastating moment to this couple. Mike was their only son, their only child, their truest love. But then, 40 days after the tragic accident occurred, strange things started to happen around them in their small three-bedroom home. Okay. Innocently enough, Lena was in her son's room cleaning out a few things when she allegedly saw something sparkling, like she claimed it looked like a diamond, up on the wall above Mike's bed. She went up closer to look at it and she noticed it was a wet spot of some kind Mm -hmm. with like a gel or like a thick, oily substance. Right. 
She wiped it clean and went on with her chores. Over the next couple of days, Lena started to notice more and more of this substance on the walls of Mike's old room. So not only in that one spot, Mm -hmm. but everywhere. Okay. But it spreads to even more than just on the walls of Mike's room. The substance was also being found on religious idols in places around the home that Mike used to occupy most and even on photos of Mike around the house. What? On a photo of him playing soccer, there would be dripping oil. On a photo of him as a child mimicking a statue of baby Jesus, dripping oil. On a statue of Mary on a little table in his room, dripping oil. Okay, so this isn't a a thick gooey thing. It's oil. It's thick oil. The oil didn't seem to have any source. It was just appearing. And over time, the oil started appearing as if it was like crying from the walls. Now, don't picture like this pouring down of (laughs) oil, um, but think of it more of like a bubble of this oily substance just slowly starts to come out of the wall. And then obviously, as it acquires into a bubble, it starts to just slowly drip. So don't think of all of this oil just pouring (laughs) down, but slowly you start to see a bubble forming. And then, you know, a couple of minutes pass and that starts to slowly drip down your wall Mm, or a picture or anything like that. And it's oil. So it's leaving behind this thick residue behind. Right. There was no explanation, no reasoning. Although the family was at first frightful of this random oil in their home, the parents also had this sense of calm about it. They began to suspect that this was their deceased son trying to communicate with them. They were even more sure of this when they started to notice words or dates written in the oil. In the oil? Mike's name was seen drawn in the oil as well as his birth date. Religious symbols have also been seen drawn in the oil. The family truly believed that Mike was handpicked by God to bring this oil. And they felt called to open their home up to others to spread this miracle. Did they call in a priest or something? Oh, yes. So before long, this small, unassuming home in the suburban town of Guildford had guests from all And if I'm pronouncing that incorrect, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, But there was guests from all over the world to see this oil in their home. Mm -hmm. The oil was collected by cotton balls or Q-tips to be used for ailments. There was also trays on the floor that would collect any excess oil that would drip. And it is said that the oil has had many miraculous occurrences for these people. A woman came from a doctor's appointment. She was in total grief after tests upon tests. Her doctor told her that she would not be able to bear a child. She came and found comfort in the home. A month later, the woman came back to the House of Miracles, as they called it, with a box of chocolates. She was, in fact, pregnant and came to thank the family for opening their home to her. Tours of the home happen to this day. Oh, my gosh. That's like 14 years. Yeah. Oil has since spread from just within Mike's bedroom. It's all over the house. Mm -hmm. The tours are free and take place five days a week. They never ask for money for interviews or anything. No donations are accepted. Nothing. They never accept any money. They have a Facebook page. It's called Mike Tennis and it's T. It's Mike T-A-N-N-O-U-S. You can go and you can see. They have his dad, I think, does majority of the videos but they post videos like daily basically and you can see live video taken by family members and guests where the oil is showing up on a photo of Mike after people had just gathered and said a prayer so so the oil's there they leave the residue there they don't clean the home and so they all had gathered to pray they're all catholic and they all gather to pray and over like a sick um, child i think in town and All of a sudden, from Mike's picture, the oil started to come down. And you can see this? Yeah. And so then the dad quickly grabbed his phone and took video of it. And you can see the oil just start to bubble out of this big picture of Mike hanging on the wall. So like I said, the family is Catholic. And they brought in their priest, Father Melham, 
He's very active with activities and and events held at the house. Um, From what I gathered from the Facebook page, he may run or help run that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has even gone as far as anointing people with this oil now. Oh, my gosh. They gather people of the community in the area every Friday at 7 p.m. for a weekly rosary. He and the family are trying to get the Catholic Church to take a closer look at the situation Mm, and possibly even make Mike a saint, Mm -hmm. Um, which, yes, this is a miracle. But I don't know who Mike was before yeah, he exactly. died. So, and I don't really know all the steps that they'd have there to take. There are a lot of steps. And so just, I mean, I know this is a miracle in not. itself. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if the Catholic Church will overcome a, you know. Yeah. Like I said, the oil brings miracles and these are still happening. You can read what people have to say in the reviews on the Facebook page. I mean, I just spent a very long time on there scrolling the reviews and everything. The oil has ailed illnesses. It's really even just given peace to people. They just find total peace going into that home. Mm -hmm. One review read, quote, this is a true miracle backed by God in order to get people on the right track. I took a wooden cross from my house and I went back home. It started to weep oil and it's still weeping from four years. I recommend the people to go and pray there, unquote. Another from, uh, I believe her name was Rosalie, quote, my friend came to the house five years ago for my son who was sick with neuroblastoma. It's cancer at age two and a half years old. He is now eight and a half years old and has survived from this horrible disease. Believing in prayers and the oil has brought back to me all helped with my son's healing back to health and remission. Please believe and many blessings to the family for allowing everyone to come to their home in memory of their son, Mike, who is still helping many people today. Unquote. Other reviews claim of an apparition seen in the home, a spirit of some kind. That's kind of like the story you told of Grandma. You just kind of see like the shadow walk by or they sense somebody there. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit or Mike himself. I read in an article that the home had a, quote, eerie vibe for that specific journalist that was writing this article. Maybe it's the oil on the walls, because again, they don't clean them. It's just this oil that's gathered on the walls in the pictures, or the large, huge photos of Mike that they have hanging, and mm-hmm. it's a small house, and they have these huge pictures of Mike now up okay. on the walls. Right. The article was, Miracle House with Weeping Walls Still Welcoming Visitors in Guildford, and it was by Matthew Dunn, and it was written in 2015. He claimed that it was made even more eerie by the messages written in the oil, supposedly by Mike's spirit. When Mr. Dunn asked to interview George, George declined to comment, which led Dunn to write, and I felt it sounded very passive aggressive, but he wrote, quote, the tight-lipped response came as a surprise given he was previously claimed to be doing God's work, unquote. So obviously you have some skeptics. Mom, what are you thinking? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Why would parents do that on their own? I reached out to them myself. You did? I did. I mean, they have a Facebook page. Why not? True. And they wouldn't tell me anything. They wouldn't say anything. And I was not like presumptuous. I'm not some big journalist. It was very, I like, cause I do, I like the positive work that they're spreading. And so I even said that, like, I'm a Catholic myself. I like this positive work that you're spreading. And if I could ask, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time with a full interview, but if you have just a statement that I could give for the podcast and they messaged me back and they just said, hi, Beth, no problem at all. You are welcome anytime. And I'm ready to help you with your great project. God bless. And I said, so kind of you to respond. My biggest question would be, what was Mike like when he was alive? His saintly blessings he's bringing to so many people is so miraculous to me. What was he like when he was alive? I would have loved to meet and know his spirit. And they responded, please come for a visit and we are ready to help. God bless. Which is probably their response to anything. And I said, oh, how I wish I live in America. They saw it and never responded. (laughs) So, I mean, that is not saying by any means that this is a hoax. But why can't you answer that question? Oh, they probably get a bunch of those. It's followed by 8,000 people. So... I don't know if you're taking the time to respond. I don't know. That sounded like a computer response, though, like just a regular generic response. I don't know. Personally, okay. So I I believe in prayer. 
I believe in the the strength of prayer. I just have a hard, and this is just me, but I have a hard time with these miracle type things. You know, like people drinking from the fountain of something and all of a sudden they can walk if they, they can't walk or right something like that. I mean, I hope that it's true. I hope that it really has helped that many people. I just remember I've, I, I'm the one who has that mind that doesn't believe in things. So, Well, some claim that the oil is just a condensation of sorts, like a hoax behind the wallpaper, but it gets even more odd. On Mike's birthday and on the day he died, as well as on Christmas just this last year, Mike's gravestone even has oil on it. Wow. As well as what George, his father, calls in a Facebook video, incense that appears. So, and again, I don't know if this is something that's normal for Australia, but his gravestone, it's not just a gravestone like we see here. It's like this huge black marble headstone, and then it has like this long quote on it and then it has a picture of him but then on the front of it is this glass encased with like candles and um, catholic statues i mean it's a big elaborate thing and from what i could see from the video the gravestones around him were like that as well interesting so again i don't know if that is normal for australia or if they just that's their son that's their baby they wanted Mm -hmm. a beautiful headstone for him but like i said they have this glass encased area with candles and statues and that's where the incense will just appear and it's these little gold balls you can't get in there have they had the oil tested yes i'll get there (laughs) so like i was saying about skeptics some people even question why the oil first showed up at like shoulder height in a small area and now all of a sudden because of all these people are coming it's coming from like the ceiling and it's coming from (laughs) high on the walls and it's coming you know what I mean like it's seeping from everywhere now I guess more belief more oil I don't know (laughs) there was a thread that Mr. Dunn the journalist I mentioned before wrote about from Yahoo Answers where many skeptics came out with their opinions Mm -hmm. one being quote seems to me that if God wanted to manifest himself to us on earth it wouldn't be by pouring 10 W40 castrol on the walls of a house in Australia terrible (laughs) unquote that's terrible. But they're not accepting money for this. So they're so like you asked, there have been actual tests done yeah. by scientists that tested the oil. And it has been discovered that the oil is actually water, gold, and includes a safe level of uranium. Gold is in this? Mom, you should be questioning uranium. <laughs> is uranium poisonous? Yes. That's what I thought. So. <laughs> But There's, people are just putting this on themselves. and Well, it's a, it's a, quote, safe amount. It's a safe level of uranium. Uh, okay. There's been some negative limelight on George himself, the father. Father. Mm-hmm. I guess he was being charged with frauding credit card applications at his job. Ew. Went to court for it. It is this big deal. But at the end of the day, that's neither here or there. I don't know how that affects the House of Miracles. Maybe shows in some people's opinion that he isn't very trustworthy. He's a scam artist. But like you mentioned, he's not they're not taking any not money. Taking for any this. money. I mean, you knock on the door during their open hours, which if you're in the area is Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, 11 to 2 and then 4 to 6. And then on Saturday, it's 12 to 6. They are closed on Wednesdays and Sundays. But you just go and you knock on the door and George happily greets you and gives you a tour of his home, sharing the history of the oil, but he won't message you back. (laughs) The House of Miracles brings hundreds of visitors each week, but they won't message you. Cars line the street. Religious paraphernalia hangs from the veranda of the home. I mean, just these huge posters and pictures outside the house even. The outdoor garage holds vigils and prayer groups. Like I said, every Friday they do a rosary. Mm -hmm. I think all in all, they mean well. They're spreading peace. They're spreading hope, you know, a belief in something. And yeah, they're spreading hope. So all in all, if it's a hoax... It's been going on for over 14 years now. That's a lot of gold that they're saving up and uranium. I don't know where that's coming from. They aren't making any money on it. Again, there's no explanation of this origin. I just thought it was a super, super bizarre, different case that I had to share. The end. (laughs) Okay. From question to our listeners from Australia. Have you ever been to this house? Yeah. Or heard about it? Or what have you heard like in the local community? Well, I... uh, 
I'm I'm very curious because I would like to know how you feel when you walk into a house like that. The, get on their Facebook page and watch these videos and look at these reviews and I mean everybody's reviewed such positive things but even just watching the videos it's it's bizarre. And if you're in Australia in the area, I just really want to know what everybody I mean gosh, those neighbors have got to hate the line of cars. <laughs> but just what is the talk of the town? Like, I know I can read all of these articles on this or go on the Facebook but page, the but sense what's the it. talk of the town about right. all of this? Well, that's why I said if you've personal experience, what did you feel when you walked into the house? I mean, people say they can feel calm, and but this other journalist didn't really feel calm. He felt scared. The he, people He that, was kind of scared. Yeah. So, you know, what is that all about? I don't know. I, I just thought it was something I had to share with you. <laughs> Wow, that is definitely different. And I don't want to be a skeptic. I mean, I... Right, because like I, I said, the message that they're spreading is just... There's nothing bad with it. Opening their home and letting people find hope. So there's nothing bad with the message they're spreading. If no. it's them going around putting dots of oil behind their wallpaper, but... Yeah, but those are expensive dots. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> God, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Holy smokes. Good story. Thanks. I will put their Facebook on our website and our Facebook and everything. So Okay. But they won't message back. So They do message back, but they won't answer your questions. And I'll keep you updated. If they if they end up all of a sudden sending me a response, I will okay, I was hop on to there remind and edit you this. something happened today. Yeah, that message. Oh that, that message. literally happened this morning. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I messaged them when I was doing this research two days ago and they didn't message back until this morning. Okay. Well, that was perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't really give anything, but... All right. Well, Australia was fun. It was. I'm sure we'll be back. Oh, yeah. There was a lot. <laughs> like I said, I will put a link to that Facebook as well as all of our resources will be listed on our website, which we have an awesome new website. Check it out. It's www.killerhangoverpodcast.com. There's even a little place on there where you can send us your personal true crime and paranormal stories. Keep them coming. coming. In, geez, in two weeks, a little over two weeks, we'll be releasing our April listener stories. Crazy. Keep them coming. We love doing this. Oh episodes. my gosh, that last time was so much fun. Yeah, they were pretty creepy stories. So see if you guys can top them. <laughs> So send us your stories. You can either do so, like I said, on the website. If you just scroll down, you'll see where you can contact us. Or just go ahead and shoot us an email, killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Message us on Facebook or Instagram, whatever's easier for you. Like I've been saying at the end of every episode, <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by you guys, you. the listeners. <laughs> I know we sound like NPR, NPR, PBS, uh, but it's true. We would not be able to afford these beverages every week or we just got mom a new microphone. Yep. So we could Because go. of our patrons. It's $5 a month. You can find a link to our Patreon at the bottom or in the description of this episode. There's also a link on our website to Patreon or you can just go to patreon.com backslash killer hangover podcast. There you go. Maybe it can even fix the uh, light that's in keeps blinking this on and off in here. Room. Jeez, everything's <laughs> falling apart. <sighs> All right, it was another good one, Mom. Ah, thanks, Australia. Yes, and I'm done drinking my Welch's grape juice. So, <laughs> okay. Hope you enjoyed your wine. I did. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>